0: Bienvenidos and welcome to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. I'm your host, Vanessa Bohm, with Nina Serrano, Julieta Kuznir, and Vilma V. In tonight's program, we'll share with listeners the latest in what's been happening in Zapatista communities, including an important announcement that was released over the weekend. Julieta Kuznir brings us an update on what's happening in the state to restrict alternative energies and the creation of green jobs. And Nina Serrano finds out the latest on issues affecting women in Nicaragua and an upcoming tour to the Central American nation to learn more about these and the solidarity work that is taking place to improve the situation. We bring you all this and more, but first, we begin with news headlines Sin Fronteras with Vilma V. Stay tuned.
1: This is Vilma V with Noticias Sin Fronteras, news headlines without borders covering news from América Latina for the week ending May 25th. Mexico. There is rising concern and international condemnation over recent attacks in Las Margaritas, an indigenous community that supports the Zapatista National Liberation Army, EZLN, in the southeastern state of Chiapas. The EZLN charged that a school and clinic were destroyed earlier this month, and on May seventeenth an ambush of unarmed supporters was carried out, which led to the death of activist and teacher José Luis Soles López. Demonstrations protesting the escalation of violence were held on May 18th in Chiapas and Greece, and statements condemning the attacks were issued by activists and politicians from Italy, Argentina, and Chile. A solidarity rally was held on May 22nd at the Mexican Consulate in San Francisco. República Dominicana. Simmering tensions between Haiti and the Dominican Republic were exacerbated last week when the Dominican Senate unanimously approved a bill which set up a system to grant citizenship to Dominican born children of immigrants, excluding those of Haitian ancestry. International rights groups decried the new law as racist and were concerned that it may deprive tens of thousands of people, the majority of them Haitians, from citizenship protection. The two countries, which share the island of Hispaniola, withdrew their prospective ambassadors in response. There have been high level meetings between the two governments since, but tensions remain. El Salvador. President-elect and former guerrilla leader of the Farabundo Martí National Liberation Front, FMLN, Salvador Sanchez Seren, will assume the presidency of El Salvador on June 1st. Mr. Seren has been traveling across the Latin American region, establishing strategic relationships with governments as diverse as Cuba, Venezuela, and the United States. Nearly 3 million people in the U.S., trace their heritage to El Salvador, and their remittances remain a principal economic engine for that country. The former president of El Salvador, Francisco Flores, remains the target of an international arrest warrant, and his whereabouts are currently unknown. Colombia. The communities of Yucala, Mesabajo, and Naranjala, all of which are located near the Tolemaida military base overlooking the Sumapez River in Colombia, are facing a slow yet deliberate process of displacement by the Colombian Army. This key military base, which is modeled after the infamous school of the Americas, which is now known as the Western Hemisphere Institute for Security Cooperation, or WINSIC, and has a permanent presence of U.S. soldiers. Tactics of displacement include an economic blockade, destruction of community property, and the deliberate contamination of the community's waterways in an effort to remove the indigenous community and expand the Tolemaida military base. There are seven U.S. military bases in Colombia. Chile. The fact that adjusted for income. Chile has the most expensive higher education in the world has prompted protests by thousands of students and activists alike in the last several years. The protest took a unique turn in the past few weeks when a Chilean activist, known as Papas Fritas, recently confessed in a video that went viral internationally of having stolen $500 million worth of loan documents from the for-profit university, Universidad del Mar, and set them ablaze in an act of love for the students. The president of Chile, Michel Bachelet, has vowed to radically reform the existing for-profit educational system, which is a remnant of Augusto Pinochet's dictatorship. Universidad del Mar has been shut down by the Chilean government due to financial irregularities. This has been a summary of news headlines from America Latina. I'm Vilma V for Noticias Sin Fronteras and La Rosa Chronicles. If you have a news item that you would like to share or have us track, email us at Chronicles at kpfa.org.
2: And rage in Chiapas. Since 1994, the emergence and persistence of the Zapatista movement has been a pain in the side of the Mexican state. An indigenous, women-commanded, revolutionary army was a nightmare for the globalist NAFTA-era business servants of the Mexican government. They have repeatedly attacked the Zapatistas, not just militarily, but via the media as well. Now, the state, using paramilitaries, has attacked the Zapatistas again. On May 2nd, the Zapatista support community, La Realidad in Chiapas, was ambushed, and a teacher there, Jose Luis Solis Lopez, was beaten badly and shot several times. Solis Lopez, known affectionately as Galeano, taught at La Escolita, the little school, a Zapatista institution. His killers are members of a Mexican paramilitary group with ties to the government. As a popular revolutionary army, the Zapatistas have denounced revenge, but they want their many supporters to know that Galliano's murder has sparked both pain and rage among them. They also see this as a pretext for attacks to come They're calling for supporters worldwide to denounce this attack. For more information, contact an attack on us all at gmail.com. From Imprison Nation, this is Mumia Abu-Jamal. These commentaries are recorded by Noel Hanrahan of Prison Radio.
3: You're listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. We have on the line with us activist, artist, educator, and general rabble-rouser, Nancy Hernandez has been doing work around solidarity with indigenous struggles in Chiapas, specifically working with the Zapatistas. She just recently, just a couple months ago, returned from spending some time at one of the escuelitas. Thank you so much, Nancy, for joining us.
4: Thank you, Julieta. It's nice to talk to you, and hello, everybody on KCFA.
3: So give people a little context. First of all, tell us what it was like. You really got to meet some incredible people who are building an alternate reality and got to an inside view of what life is like for a lot of people living in Zapatista communities now. So what's that like for people who haven't had that opportunity?
4: Well, I definitely felt very honored to be a participant in the Escolita that was hosted. It's been about three years that the Zapatistas have been a lot quieter, not putting out as many communiques, not not talking as much. Recently, they opened up their doors and invited international participants to come to three sessions of a small school that was hosted in the Caracoles. And uh, we as community members from international places were all hosted by the families that support the Zapatistas, and we were able to interact every day with teachers, that are working in the communities and really get to see what they've been doing with the past three years, which really I feel like is building their autonomy and building their sustainability and and building their communities to be a lively and vibrant and beautiful place that's completely autonomous from the government.
3: So Nancy, you I got to see some of your photos, but this is radio, so we're going to have to describe for people. Tell me about what these caracoles look like and what some of the artists, since you are an artist and you support people to paint their struggles and to represent themselves on their walls. So tell us about what some of the walls look like in the caracoles. Well,
4: to me, as a Bay Area resident, as a you know, Bay Area native growing up on the concrete, it really looked like paradise to me because in every caracol, you know, the communities are outside of the city. They're out in nature. Every family has a house. The families all have work to do. There's chickens, there's goats, there's turkeys, there's pigs, there's animals running all over the place, and there's collective businesses, co-ops that are sprouting up all over the place. Um, the communities are really vibrantly working together to sustain themselves and to not be dependent on la canasta or the you know the government welfare programs that they have there, but to grow their own food, to grow organic food, to grow only non GMO corn and heirloom corn and heirloom fruits and vegetables and to, you know, not have to put pesticides on their food and to really be able to, you know, live in relationship with the land and with each other in a collective way that it really, to me, is it beautiful. It's a beautiful place. There's murals on every wall. The murals are inspiring. You know, they have beautiful images of, of young people, of old people, of men, of women, of people taking up leadership and really fully participating in their society. And I think
3: it's, it's a beautiful place. So, Nancy Hernandez, that beautiful place being brought into focus for a lot of people because of recent acts of violence. Can you tell our listeners what occurred and also what is being done to call to task and to fight and ask for justice
4: recently there's been violence in one of the Caracoles in La Realidad, which is one of the farthest communities from San Cristobal de las Casas in Chiapas. Paramilitary attacked one of the schools. They injured uh, about 12 people, and they uh, assassinated one of the teachers. And just as somebody who participated recently in the Escolita, I felt such a, a wonderful connection with these teachers who were trying to educate their own people and educate, you know, the neighbors and the surrounding communities, and spent extra time trying to educate us as international participants that were delegates to the school. So just the, the idea that any of those people has been injured feels like an injury to all of us.
3: So tell us more. So a teacher was murdered and there's been a, an outcry around the world. So what has been done here in the Bay Area and what, have, what are you hearing about through the network of solidarity around the world to call for justice and accountability?
4: So definitely I think that the immediate thing was that there was a ton of information going out. From this rural community, there was a ton of access to all of these relationships that have been built across the world of different communities that are, you know, living in cities or living in different countries but are all in solidarity with the idea of autonomy and of indigenous people taking on their own responsibility in their own community in Chiapas. And so it was amazing that instantly, you know, they had so many connections from the middle of the jungle all around the world. There was a call put out last week to do actions in solidarity with the Zapatistas. And so actions took place all over. I participated in one in San Francisco that was a noise rally in front of the Mexican consulate to call attention to the teacher, Galeano, who was killed, also the paramilitary, and really to also call attention to the U.S.'s plan for the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which is part of why our investment in that region is being pushed And so really, I do feel like what we were trying to do is send an international statement to the Zapatistas that they're not alone, that we know what's going on there, that we're in communication with them, and that we can, from San Francisco or Oakland or Berkeley or anywhere of the world, make a call out to the Mexican consulate, make a call out to our communities that violence is not acceptable from the paramilitary towards unarmed people in the jungle, and it's also, you know, not okay here in the streets of San Francisco. The same way that we feel about Alex Nieto being killed by the police in San Francisco is the same way that we feel about Galeano being killed in Chiapas.
3: Nancy, you mentioned the trade agreement that is part of the reason that that there's consistent paramilitary presence in Chiapas in Zapatista-run communities. Can you tell us more about that?
4: The people who are living in the Caracoles are autonomous. They're on their own. They're not asking for the government to... To come in and help them as much. They're now working on just doing everything for themselves. And to us that was really inspiring because we spend a lot of time here as activists trying to change policies and as trying to, you know, advocate for changes in the structure. And it was really refreshing to see that there they're like, we just want to live in relationship with the land and the community, and we want to, you know, just prosper and, and be self-sufficient. And so what I feel like is happening with the US's role is the, the idea of this trans-Pacific partnership is basically like NAFTA on crack. And it's advantageous to anybody who is trying to push for Trans-Pacific Partnership to go through to create havoc in that region and to, you know, send in paramilitaries, continue to cause fear, continue to try to keep the rebellions down, because really the Zapatistas' message has spread across the world, and people from all over understand that there's a bad government that's in charge right now, and that the Zapatistas are trying to do something positive for their people, and should have the right to their land. And the, the idea of a, a huger
3: version of NAFTA really does, of course, infringe upon any idea of autonomy or of sovereignty. Nancy, you recently were in one of the caracoles and got to spend some time with people who are working to create these autonomous Abatista communities. So... Can you um, tell us about the recent news? Just tell us what happened. A lot of people are up in arms say, Subcomandante Marcos is no more. What's happening with the Zapatistas? Give us just an update on the breaking news that came out yesterday.
4: So Subcomandante Marcos has not made a communique for a very long time. I think it's been almost five years since he he has been publicly speaking. In that time, the leadership has been developed all over the region, and there's a ton of people who are spokespeople. Every gathering has uh, an indigenous person translating it into each of the languages that are spoken in the region, so there are a ton of spokespeople, and he has not been as vocal as he was in in the beginning of the rebellion and of, of the uprising. But he did come out and make a speech at La Realidad, the Caracol, in which, Galeano was assassinated at, and he spoke on various issues. One of the things that he said is that the idea of Marcos is something that we, the Zapatistas, created, and now we no longer need that character, so we're writing him out. And he declared that from now on, he will speak as subcomandante Galeano in respect for the teacher who was assassinated. And I think what he's saying is that as a member of our community was just assassinated that all of us are now Galeano and we all need to take on his name and his struggle and continue his work.
3: So Nancy it is pretty difficult if you're just focusing on watching TV news or reading your MSN.com you're not getting much on the Zapatistas and if you are it's probably pretty skewed how do you recommend people stay up on what's happening and how do you recommend people show their solidarity with the Zapatista movement well, of course, my first shout out is to KPFA, and I would ask everybody in the Bay Area to support KPFA and support
4: listener-sponsored radio. You like that, don't you? Um, but I also feel like there's a ton of resources online to be able to get news and to get media, so indie media always has a ton of information. I think that Democracy Now! had a really good analysis of Subcomandante Marcos's or now Galeano's speech, and so I, I think that, you know, just... Not being sucked into mainstream media and not just believing everything we hear on Fox News is the first step and understanding that the Fox News Network and many of the other networks that are pushing out, you know, everything that Clear Channel is saying, all the ideas that are coming out of Clear Channel, that's a part of the mal gobierno. That's a part of the bad government. And in order for us to really be a part of a social movement that's moving forward, we can't just keep listening to the ideas that are pushed by the mainstream media. We have to do the extra work to go outside of that and um, listen to KPFA and, you know, I guess podcast, if you miss it, you can find it online. And, um, you know, just reading IndieBay and, you know, IndieMedia and anything coming from outside of the U.S. I feel like is a little more
3: progressive or you know balanced and so for people who feel that they really want to go and either support as doing work to try to protect into you know, accompanyers or to do any kind of work to support the zapatistas working in these caracoles working in these different escuelitas or if they want to go and see for themselves what what it's like um do you have any recommendations about how people can plug in and do what and see for themselves
4: Well, I definitely feel like the first thing is that the Zapatistas say that, you know, the idea is not that we all go to Chiapas and do work in Chiapas, but that the idea is that all of us become Zapatistas in our own communities and carry those ideas with us so that when we're organizing in San Francisco or Oakland or the East Bay or, you know, Los Angeles, that we are implementing those same ideas of collective work and collective struggle and supporting co-ops and putting our money into the community rather than into more corporations. Um, And so that's the first step, I feel like, is taking those ideologies and bringing them home. But also I would say that if people are interested in traveling to the region, that, you know, there's nothing that can uh, educate you about a place or a struggle or a location as much as traveling there. So I would definitely say that international travel is something that everybody in in the U.S. needs to do.
3: Thank you, Nancy. So is there anything else our listeners need to know about how to plug in or support? Just if anybody wants to create any art or anything in support of
4: those apatistas communities or put out any type of actions or events that people are adding all of their information out onto the interwebs and, and sharing all of this information.
3: So Nancy, how can people see some of the great art in these escuelitas or join up with people who are doing solidarity work around the world? Well, I
4: would definitely say that anytime that you want to see pictures or, or find things on the Zapatistas, there's a ton of information out there. You can go onto the internet and, and look at some of the webpages. If you're on, uh, Instagram, you can look up the hashtag for Zapatistas and specifically on, on the issue of Galeano and, um, the assassination that happened this past week. Um, there's a hashtag of Zapatistas no están solos and solos is spelled with an X at the end, um, so that there is no, uh, feminine or masculine of, of the word. Um, so people can check those images out, and there's a ton of international solidarity that has come out of, from, you know, Great Britain, Australia, the U.S., you know, different parts of Mexico, um, and people are, are holding rallies and holding actions and making art, and then taking images of that and uploading that to, to Instagram and also on Facebook. So um, there's a ton of information and resources out there to see.
3: Well, thank you so much, Nancy. We look forward to hearing more about your work in solidarity with Struggle all around the world and your work here in the Bay to highlight injustice and to support people who are rising up and challenging those that are taking advantage and exploiting folks around the the Bay, around the country, around the world. So thank you so much, Nancy, for all your work. Of course. Thank you, Julieta.
4: And thank you, KPFA, for always being a voice of reason whenever there's chaos on the planet.
5: Thank you.
3: You're listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza, across the United States and across California. Folks are looking at how can they access alternative sources of energy. People are looking at creative ways to address climate change, as well as to lower costs for themselves and for their communities, both a health, human and fiscal costs. We have on the line with us Don Weitz, who's the executive officer of Marine Clean Energy, California's first community choice programs. Thank you so much for joining us, Don. Very happy to be here. So Don, before we get into and explain what California's first community choice program even means, let's first talk about the subject at hand, which is the really urgent reason why we called you up to have you on the program, which is a vote that's happening on AB 2145. Can you break down for our listeners AB 2145 and why does it matter?
6: Well, AB 2145 is also known as the Monopoly Protection Act. It is a, another attack on community choice that would limit the choices that local community members have to choose a greener supply of electricity, and in our case currently, it's also a greener uh, and cheaper supply of energy. Right now, throughout a lot of California, there's only one monopoly provider. That's a, a corporate a private company that provides energy to customers and customers don't have a choice of getting their power from somewhere else. The program that we run is a community choice aggregation program and it gives customers a choice of getting their power supplied from us and we choose greener sources of supply and that's important to a lot of customers or for customers that don't want to get their power from us, they can also choose to continue getting power from the corporate monopoly in their territory. AB 2145 would essentially make it uh, infeasible for any community choice programs to start up in California. So that's why it's a a big concern and we're trying to um, make sure folks are aware of it and um, can do whatever is possible to stop this bill.
3: So if this bill does pass, how will that affect people who are trying to think about new ways or trying to really break free of the constrictions of relying primarily just on their current energy provider?
6: Well, if this bill were to pass, it would impact local governments all across California that have been interested in starting up community choice programs of their own. And there are many efforts in play right now to, to launch community choice programs, including a program in Lancaster and programs in the central part of California, San Luis Obispo, um, moving up towards Monterey, Santa Cruz, and even as far north as Arcata. Um, There are also many communities in the East Bay here near San Francisco that have been interested in launching a CCA program, and a lot of time and effort and study has been put into launching community choice programs in these jurisdictions by local governments, cities and towns that want to have choice for their customers and also want to have a way to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and get more renewable supply onto the grid to serve their customers' needs. This program would change the approach of community choice and make it an opt-in program rather than an opt-out program. And that fundamentally changes the opportunity for local governments to launch these types of programs because as an opt-in program, there's a need to really um, procure power and uh, have financing available to procure power without knowing what your customer base is going to be. And when we've had an open market in the past, very few customers have made any change in the supply that they're receiving. Less than 1%, in fact, in our community chose a different choice of supply when they were given an option. So the great thing about community choice is we're able to redirect where customers are getting their power from while providing choice at the same time and allowing customers to take part in even greener options if they want to.
3: So Don, there may be some people listening that think solar panels, that's something that's wonderful. In a dream world, everyone would have them, but they're really just for the elite, and they're something that's pretty impossible for most folks that are barely getting food on the table. There are also a lot of people who are thinking we have issues of violence in our community, we live in places without access to healthy foods, no fruits and vegetables, we have bigger fish to fry than getting away from a power monopoly What would you say to those people when they say to you that this perhaps isn't a social justice issue?
6: Yeah, that's a great question. Well, community choice is good for communities because we do a lot to give back and reinvest in our communities while getting greener power onto the grid. We have an energy efficiency program that focuses on multifamily units, getting energy usage down to save money for landlords and for tenants, and um, this really complements existing efforts that are out in the community to to try and save money for customers while saving energy. We also have a feed-in tariff that encourages local build-out of renewable projects using local labor, and this has been a great way to to have some job creation in our community. The the first feed-in tariff project built for our customers employed 20 people, um, many of whom were coming out of a job training program in the Marin City area. This helped them get experience in the green-collar jobs workforce. And we also have a solar rebate program that we have designated primarily for low-income customers at least for the first four months of the program. We've really set aside the rebates so that only Customers who are eligible for care and are low income are able to access these rebates, and that's because we've seen a lot of solar installations going in, and just providing uh, a little extra, rev- a little bit of an extra cushion for folks that were already going to install solar. But we really wanted to promote installations that might not otherwise happen, so we partnered with Grid Alternatives to make sure that solar installations were happening on low-income rooftops, and thereby reducing the the energy expenses for the customer for many years into the future. Um, and then the last thing I'll mention is that despite having greener power supply, we, we also have been able to keep our prices very low because we're a not-for-profit organization and we don't have to pay shareholder profits. And these savings are passed along to customers in our rates. So our residential rates are lower, our commercial rates are lower, and this means that our schools and our city governments are paying less every month for power than they would have otherwise the West Contra Costa Unified School District just announced a, a savings of over $66,000 that they'll be achieving in the next year by being our customer. The City of Santa Fe just announced uh, over $30,000 in savings that they'll be achieving over the next year. And these are dollars that can be reinvested into local programs that benefit our community.
3: So, how can people find out more about community choice and find out more about Marin Clean Energy? And how can they also speak out on AB 2145?
6: People can find out more by going to our website, which is mcecleanenergy.org, and find out more about our program and find out more about how to engage on this bill. I think that one thing that's important for customers to know is that we really are about choice, and customers in our service territory not only can choose a a greener product, but they can also choose a more local product. We offer a 50% renewable product, which is the default option at rates that are lower than what the incumbent utility offers, and then we also offer a 100% green option for customers that that want to do more as far as greenhouse gas emissions and getting renewables on the grid. The most recent program that we have announced is called SolShares, and this is a 100% local solar product that customers can get to get power onto the grid from our local community and create jobs at the same time. We think it's important for customers to be able to choose from greener products so that we can reduce our impact on the environment and get more renewables onto the grid for our community so that we can protect our environment.
3: That was the voice of Dawn White. She's the executive officer of Marin Clean Energy, and we appreciate her for giving us an update on what's happening now here in California at the State Assembly on a vote, important vote, around AB 2145 and find out more about community choice. Thank you so much, Dawn.
7: This is Nina Serrano for La Raza Chronicles. I have in the studio today Estelle Schneider. She's been here before, if you remember, speaking about Nicaragua. And as part of that discussion, we discussed the violence against women in Nicaragua, and we discussed some marvelous new innovative techniques that are being used to organize communities and to organize women and to make life better in Nicaragua. And we also discussed a possible tour to Nicaragua that might interest you, the listener. So that's why Estelle has come back, because now it's time to get ready for the tour. Bienvenidos, Estelle, and gracias, because you've returned.
8: Oh, thank you very much, Nina, for having me here today. I'm, I'm really thrilled with this opportunity to share my passion for Nicaragua and how we can accompany the women and men there who are working for change.
7: So what are some of the changes?
8: Well, some of the things that we would like to see changed are the issue of violence against women that takes the form of what's called femicides, which are actually the murder of women just for their gender, being done in uh, large numbers, unfortunately, by the men in their lives, often who are their partners or their former partners. That's become something increasingly of concern as those numbers have increased this year compared to last year and previous years. There's also the issue of trafficking, commercial sexual exploitation, which has also increased in the last number of years, and also trafficking related to labor,
7: well, enforced labor situation. So why do you think that these numbers are going up? Do you think the numbers are going up because there's more reporting of these crimes or because the crimes themselves are actually increasing? And would you say the femicide is more domestic violence or coming out of people murdering ex-lovers or ex-wives or current wives? Or is it more like what we saw in Juarez, the murder of the women there, that it's connected to kill flicks and other hideous industries?
8: Those are very good questions. I think it's coming to light for a variety of reasons, and you you mentioned two of them. According to the State Department, the U.S. State Department report on international trafficking, uh, Nicaragua got some good marks, which is a good thing to acknowledge. In the last few years, the report was dated 2012, and it talked about the efforts towards prosecution and towards beginning prosecuting and appropriate punishment for those who are convicted. So that's a good thing. The areas in which they're still falling short are in prevention and in Support for people who've been identified as, as trafficking victims. So that's the one side of it. I think it has gotten more attention for those reasons. The other thing is that with the increase in tourism in Nicaragua, it's brought with it the issue of sex tourism, and that is new because it's only in the last maybe five to ten years that tourism is increasing in Nicaragua with a with a more stable environment and with a more broader recognition that it's a beautiful country and has a lot to to say for it. But unfortunately, as in the rest of the world, it's brought those kind of issues with it. The other thing to note here is that if you look at a broader picture, sex trafficking or what's called commercial sexual exploitation of children in particular is reached international epidemic proportions. So it's not just Nicaragua that's being affected. And in part, that's also what I've learned from the event that we did that I was on the air for a little while ago talking about. It was a very successful event about Nicaragua, which raised over $5,000 for grassroots women's organizations, and we're very proud about that. But through working on that, I also learned more about the issue of trafficking in the Bay Area. Really? Oh yes. And there is a big issue of commercial sexual exploitation going on, right? under our noses here in our backyards. And in the process of learning about that, we want to make links. We want to to make links between uh, Oakland and Nicaragua. We want to make links between African countries that are going through the same thing. Part of what I learned is that the rings such as drugs and gun running have to some degree switched over to trafficking of girls and women because you can use those products, between quotes, over and over again. Once you sell a gun, it's sold. Once you make a drug trade, it's gone. Uh, Women and sex go on and on and on. there's a higher profit margin. It's a horrible, horrible way of
7: thinking, but there's truth to that. This is a global issue we know because recently we had a filmmaker who's making a film about the street children in Bolivia in La Paz and they're used for these very same horrible sex traffic. So it is a world problem. But in one way, I see that Nicaragua is maybe more advanced than we are in combating it. There's a TV show. Can you talk about the TV show that's combating this problem?
8: Yes. Thanks, Nina. That's a great segue into being able to talk about something a little bit more optimistic, which is the leadership role that Nicaragua's women's movement has played in many respects. And this is one of them. What you're referring to is Nicaraguan soap opera that's called Contra Corriente, which means turning the tide. And they use the word novella for soap opera, so that's what I'll call it. And we recently showed a film that's been made about the novella. It's called En la Casa, la Cama y la Calle. And that means in bed, in the street, um, and at home. And what that refers to is uh, democracy building. It's the slogan that Puntos de Encuentro, which is a feminist organization in Nicaragua, came up with to describe the the work that they do in um, changing power relationships, which they think is the basis upon which change will happen. So that refers to power relationships between young and old, men and women, gay and straight, the democracy in the country. You can't have democracy unless there's equal power relationships. And so with that, they created this soap opera, which addresses all all these challenging problems. And the episode that we see in the film is one about uh, sex trafficking. And they use the... the novella as a way to feed into organizing in the women's movement. So in this film, you actually see Nicaraguan families in their homes watching the uh, watching the TV program and discussing the issues that it brings up about imbalance in power, about how uh, dispelling the myths. You know, there's a lot of myths that the girls like being in the sex trade because they get good money and pretty clothes. And they dispel those myths and they see people talking about it. And they give information to people about how to protect themselves. And it's, uh, odd to use the word upbeat, but it is upbeat to see how successful they are being in mobilizing and and, and creating a new uh, a new scheme,
7: a new vision, a new way for men to be men. I watched this video myself, and I was very impressed by the way that Nicaraguan women are now using the media for organizing so that the very actors that are in this popular novella, this popular soap opera go around to the schools. And give talks and give workshops. And so much of it is addressed to the young men, changing the young men and their viewpoint so that their willingness to be pimps or become part of this is negated or mistreating the women. And the young women are just seem to come to life behind this, and also the relationship between mothers and daughters. A very profound theme is explored and discussed with the girls in the schools when the actors come with their big posters that they autograph for the kids because they're all popular TV stars now, and how those people, the actors, changed by becoming part of this novella series. And I think our media today, and certainly we producers here at KPFA, could take a great lesson from this of combining media with community organizing, not just inviting community organizers to come and be interviewed, but actually be part of that whole process. And many times we are. We go out to local events and locations, and we are part of of it. And other times we do invite the organizations in. We are a community station, but we could even be more so. Or that's what I felt while I was watching. I was so inspired. So there are many exciting developments where people in third world countries are taking the leadership in this And we in the women's movement and in the liberation movements and the social justice movements here can follow. I recall that during the revolutionary period in Nicaragua, 1979 to 1989, the tourism was very different. It was revolutionary tourism. People came from all over the world to see these exciting new developments in culture, in family relations, in agriculture, in economics, in practices of democracy. Democracy that were happening in Nicaragua. And with the loss of the Sandinista revolution in 79... There was quite a setback, and the hopes of women suffered a great setback because when the new Sandinista Party, now a political party, not a revolutionary movement, gained office, a lot of their policies ignored the demands of women. They instituted making abortion illegal. They instituted anti-gay legislation, and Nicaraguan women seem to be struggling against this, but this novella is a great fight-back tool.
8: The novella is a fantastic fight back tool. And I'm uh, really pleased that you mentioned so many aspects of film that were impressive in terms of what they're doing. I strongly feel that the Nicaraguan women's movement, and actually there's a men's movement against violence that has grown out of and alongside of the Nicaraguan women's movement. And that's one of the few countries in the world that can say they actually work on that. They work on supporting men, to become real men who don't abuse women, who don't practice violence against women and who want to change the model of what it means to be men. They're not the first country to think of that, but they're probably among the first countries and movements who've actually built the movement and that's very impressive and another page that we can take from them. So I'm really glad that you uh, mentioned the concept of community and how it applies here to work in KPFA and what we can learn from them because it seems like it's a good segue into talking a little bit about trips that are being planned, in particular the trip to support the women's movement. You mentioned the type of tourism or visiting that went on during the years of the Sandinista revolution, and we're not in that period right now. But we can still show our solidarity and support by uh, linking up with the movements, either by going there directly for those of us who can, or in other ways that we can talk about as well. So in November of this year, in 2014, we have planned, in coordination with some of the women's organizations, a chance for women and men, because our trip is open to men, even though it's called the Women's Empowerment Journey. We believe that men can participate Participate in helping to empower women as well. So they're welcome. And it corresponds with November 25th, which is known throughout uh, Latin America and Central
7: America and the Caribbean
8: as the day of elimination of violence against women.
7: I'm very proud to say it's also known here in the Bay Area because we have for at least eight years celebrated that day. And always in November on La Raza Chronicles, we spend some time promoting and discussing November 25th as the UN declared day for the elimination of violence towards women and girls. And we generally have an event in the mission
8: which I just learned about somehow. I don't know how, but somehow I missed that until this past year. So I think it was meant to be that we connected in this way because now we can build it even further. So every year in Nicaragua, just as you mentioned, was done here. They commemorate that day by having uh, marches and activities and forums of different sorts uh, across the country, not just in Managua, the capital. But we have been invited to participate in the events that will take place in the, in the capital. We have a wonderful program that will take us to visit three different parts of Nicaragua, the beautiful island of Ometepe, which is a biosphere reserve recognized internationally for its beautiful ecology and history. And the women's movement that's there is also doing very good work. So we want people to learn about both those parts. And we'll also be going to Managua and and Esteli, where the projects that we raised money for at this event are located. So we'll meet them.
7: What are some of those projects?
8: Uh, One of them is called the Mama Licha Clinic. And Mama Licha is Alicia Huete, And she's a midwife who's in her late 60s or early 70s. She is known as a legendary midwife in the town of Esteli because she devotes herself to providing safe professional care to women who are giving birth and to their families. And so she worked in the Ministry of Health for many years until they retired her. She didn't want to stop working. And so a number of uh, people in the United States have joined together to fundraise for her to have her own clinic. And that's what we're supporting. It's one of the groups we're supporting. The other is a smaller group that works with women who have been in the sex trades and who are trying to get out of the sex trades and helps them with whatever they need. It kind of provides individual Individualized support for those women to do whatever it is they need, get help for new jobs, relocate themselves, stay secret for the time if they need to. It's a it's a smaller, more low profile, but very important group, and they also assist the families who eke out a living in the in the municipal garbage dump. So we're supporting those two those two women's
7: groups in Esteli. So if people are interested in joining these tours. How do they contact the tour?
8: The tours are being run by a wonderful travel organization that's called AltruVistas. And that's A-L-T-R-U-V-I-S-T-A-S. And they can be found online at that website, altruvistas.com. And that is a socially responsible travel project that uses part of its proceeds to support whatever local travel, whatever local organizations that will that will be supporting. So you can go online there to get information about the dates and the cost and the itinerary, and then that will eventually reach me, and I will be in touch with you.
7: Wonderful. And can you also give us any information that you might have about the local groups that are working against the sex trade here in the Bay Area?
8: Yes. There's a couple of organizations doing that. There's one that's called MISSY, M-I-S-S-S-Y and that works with sexually exploited youth and it's run by people who have gotten themselves out of that life and moved on to support and help others get out of that life. Would so that's, that be,
7: you think, missy.org?
8: Yes, yes. And they are constantly having events. In fact, they have One coming up in June, which if I can mention, uh, I'm looking at a postcard that I have that says, buying a teen for sex is child abuse. Turning a blind eye is neglect. Help free a child and join our movement. And it's an event in support of Missy that's taking place on Saturday, June 21st, right here in Oakland. So it's their third annual Inspire Change Gala celebration, Saturday, June 21st at the Impact Hub Oakland at 2323 Broadway from 6 to 10 p.m. And more information can be found at missy.org, and that's M-I-S-S-S-E-Y.org.
7: Well, I was very excited when I saw a billboard in my neighborhood that said, buying a teen for sex is child abuse, turning a blind eye is neglect, because often when I've driven by in certain neighborhoods, I can see very young girls being used for prostitution. And maybe I just catch it out of the corner of my eye as, as I'm crossing that cross section. And it it's a painful sight to see a young girl in that situation. So when I saw the billboard, my heart leapt that, oh, there's going to be a consciousness change because if we keep saying this enough that buying a teen for sex is child abuse and turning a blind eye is neglect, it's going to filter through the society just like so many other campaigns of consciousness has. So. Thank you so much, Estelle. Shall we remind people again how they can find out about this November tour to Nicaragua because it's not too soon to save a place for yourself.
8: Exactly right. That will be with altruvistas.com. A-L-T-R-U-V-I-S-T-A-S dot com. And I just wanted to add a quick comment to the last thing you said. I'm thrilled that you saw that billboard because I I know for a fact those billboards were developed by the Bay Area Coalition to Stop Trafficking, which used the input from the young girls and the women to make it real so that they they knew that they would be transferring a message that would get to the eyes and ears of these young people in that situation by, by taking their own messages.
7: I see that almost every day on Park Street in Oakland. Great. Well, I'm so glad you brought that up. Well, I'm so happy that we end on such a positive note about such a difficult and painful subject. Thank you so much, Estelle Schneider.
8: Well, and thank you so much for allowing me this opportunity, and I really enjoy being interviewed with you. Un placer. Straight in
9: solitude
0: to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. To hear this program again or share it with your friends, go to kpfa.org. We always like to hear back from our listeners and welcome feedback and show ideas. To get in touch with us, like us on Facebook and leave us a message. Remember to tune in next week at 7 p.m. to hear more about the latest issues, news, arts, and culture in the Latino community. Buenas noches. Hasta la próxima.